Welcome to Kenny and the Coaches. Happy New Year's Eve. It's been a great year of Kenny and the Coaches, and that is due to you, the listener. Thank you for listening to the podcast and spreading the word about the podcast. Hopefully, 2024 will be an even better year, not just for Kenny and the Coaches, but for you as well. On this final episode of 2023, I talk with Mustang head fast pitch coach, Lacey Darity, and here's our conversation. All right, Coach, thanks for taking a little bit of time to visit with me a little bit today. Yeah, thanks for having me. No problem, no problem. Now, I always start out um, in the podcast by asking this question. Who were some of the people that influenced you to become a coach? Oh, gosh, I mean, I think I have to start with, with my parents. Um, they were were my coaches from the time I was four or five until I was, you know, about 13 or 14 years old. Um, and then once I, you know, became a teenager and got more into school ball and, and travel ball and stuff, they kind of handed the reins to, to some other people. Um, but really, you know, just a lot of the coaches that I had, um, either in travel ball or, or high school, um, and just that, you know, the impact that they had on me, especially growing up in a small community, mm-hmm. um, like Velma, where, you know, you have those same coaches or you're familiar with those same coaches from, you know, maybe the time you're in elementary school and maybe they're your PE teacher. Um, and then they start coaching in middle school, junior high, high school. Um, but really, yeah, I mean, start with my parents and just the coaches that I had um, growing up in travel ball and, and definitely in high school made me, you know, think more about becoming a, a teacher and a coach just because of the way they impacted my life and the memories that they were able to you know give me yeah now transitioning from being a player to a coach sometimes it doesn't translate especially when you're as you know accomplished as you were you know playing at osu you know all the the accolades that you had sometimes that doesn't really translate because you're you just know what to do and trying to translate that over to being a coach what what was that transition like for you definitely different um you know when I got out of college and was finished at OSU Mm -hmm. I didn't really have any intentions of of coaching softball which is odd to say because it was such a huge part of my life growing up but Mm -hmm. I just I dedicated so much um, of my time to softball that by the time I graduated from OSU I was ready for a little I was ready for a little break you know, and mm-hmm. so I got my first uh, teaching job over at Marlowe, and I was coaching junior high basketball or junior high cross country, seventh grade girls basketball. And I told Coach Miller over there, the softball coach, I told him, you know, if you guys ever need any help, I'd be happy to come out and, and watch softball practice and help you any way I can. And it didn't take very long for me after I went to a couple of practices to realize that. I wasn't as ready for a break from softball as I as I thought I was. Yeah. Um, so after a year at Marlowe, I went to UConn and became a softball assistant coach, and it was it was nice because I was still young enough that I could um, kind of relate to the girls and talk about some of my experiences that I had had, you know, pretty recently. Um, but then at the same time, when you're not playing anymore I guess I didn't realize how anxiety inducing coaching can be because (laughs) you know when you're a player you you can impact the game 
yourself. You can go make a great play or, you know, score a bucket or get Mm -hmm. a hit, whatever. Um, But when you're the coach, all you can do is prepare them. Mm -hmm. But it's up, it's up to the players to go out there and execute the plays and throw the pitches and get a hit and all of that good stuff. So I think that was one really big takeaway for me was, wow, I didn't realize how kind of helpless coaching can feel, even though you've done everything you can do to prepare them as much as possible. You know, when it's time to cross the chalk or, you know, step between the lines, whatever, it's up to those players to go out and and do the job. Um, So that was something that was definitely difficult for me to kind of grasp Mm -hmm. at the beginning. Um, But, you know, I I love coaching just as much um, as I love as I love playing, yeah. so. Yeah, it's a little bit different, love, you know. I mean, it's like, I don't know, it's almost like you don't have to think as much when you're a player, you know. And then, like, when you get exactly. to the, the coaching side of it, it's like, it's all you, it's all you can do is think. You know? hmm yeah. Exactly. Uh, is there something that you wish you would have known when you first started that you know now as a veteran coach? Because I, I ask this question a lot, too, because I know there's things that, you know, from the time that, I, I think about that a lot. Like when I first started way back in the early 2000s to now, I was like, man, if I'd have known that stuff back then, I'd have been a great coach. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I think something that I, you know, just always kind of think back to is at the end of the day, you know, they're kids mm-hmm. um, and they're going to, they're going to mess up. They're not trying to mess up, but it, you know, it happens. None of them are perfect. None of us are perfect. Um, and so at the beginning, I think I was just like, okay, everything has to be done exactly this way. Yeah. This is yeah. what we're going to do. This is our plan. This is our practice schedule. Everything has to go just this way. And I found out really quickly that very rarely did things <laughs> go as planned. Yeah. And so I think over the years, um, you know, just learning to be patient and very flexible with, with whatever it is because at the end of the day you are you know relying on a group of 14 to 17 18 year olds to go out there and and do a job and if you expect perfection and everything to go a certain way all the time then you're going to be you know disappointed more often than not so Mm -hmm. you know I wish I would have I would have known that when I first started that hey you you know plan a is probably not going to work out you need a plan b you need a plan c yeah. so on and so forth and then another thing is just, you don't have to do everything in mm-hmm. one day you know I would think okay we have to do these 10 things today in order for it to be a successful practice and I you know I learned that <clears throat> sometimes you may not get through the first two items on your list that you want to do <laughs> yep. that day and and it's okay you don't have to get through all 10 things on your practice list. You can get through one and two and it can still be a good day of practice. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause you can, I, I'm, I'm, I've been guilty of that in the past of, like you said, you'll have 10 things you want to do and you almost hurry through them to get them done. And you're like, Oh yeah, I got it done. And you're like, Oh crap. Did they really retain anything that I was trying to get across to them? It is. Exactly. Yeah. It is better to take your time with that stuff. Now talk a little bit about, because I mean, you you've kind of I don't know if you really if you've built it up there, but I mean you you guys are you've won a 
slow pitch state championship last two out of three years. You're in the state tournament and the fast pitch. What what are the keys to building a successful overall softball program, if I can spit that out? Because a lot of times you always hear of, mainly from players that oh, I'm I'm not gonna play I'm not gonna play slow pitch because it's gonna mess up my fast pitch swing or something <laughs> or something like that. But what what do you think the keys are to building a successful overall softball program? You know, I think a lot of it just is consistency, uh, mm -hmm. being consistent with with the girls every day and, you know, really setting a positive environment um, for your team so that they know what they what your expectations are of them as players and what they can expect out of you as mm -hmm. a coach. Um, and we just, you know, we try to get our girls to compete in any way that we can these you know, the four years that I've been at Mustang, we've we've done something a little bit differently in the summers. Um, and instead of just having our girls, you know, go to the weight room and show up and lift weights for an hour and go home, uh, we've actually taken them up to a CrossFit gym here in town um, that's owned by former OU player Savannah Long, and she was one of our assistant coaches for three years. Mm. And that environment, it's just, it's so challenging. And Coach Long and her staff do a really great job up there of just instilling a, a competitiveness in the girls. Mm -hmm. um, and we just, you know, we want them to compete as much as possible because that's what you do every day that you step out on that field. Mm -hmm. um, and so CrossFit's gone a really, a really long way with our team. Um, they enjoy it. They they love working with Coach Long and her staff, um, but I think just you know consistent consistency. Mustang is a really proud you know softball program. Had mm -hmm. you know has a lot of tradition there, and Mustangs you know it's really a softball town, and it kind of always has been. So mm -hmm. I think those kids grow up and they get to high school and they expect to, you know, have success because Mustangs always had success in softball. And then you win a state championship and, you know, more people want to be involved mm -hmm. in everything. So I think just, you know, instilling that competitiveness in the girls and being consistent in the things that we do um, have really helped our program. Yeah. Now, it's, you know, for a player, like I was saying about um, kids saying that they're not going to play slow pitch because it messes up their fast pitch swing or just whatever it is. But how much of a difference is there between the slow pitch game and the fast pitch game when it comes to coaching it? <laughs> oh, there's definitely some differences. Um, when I first when I first got hired at Mustang, I was still coaching it at Deer Creek. I was coaching track in the spring of 2020. Um, and Mustang had asked me, you know, well, do you want to come down and be the, be the slow pitch coach? And I thought, oh, there's no way I can do that in coach track. But on the days that I have available, I'll come down and watch practice or watch the games. And I didn't really have any history with slow pitch. I played in a couple of co-ed <laughs> tournaments in the summers, but mm -hmm. that was as far as my slow pitch knowledge went. And so when I started coming to games, it was, you know, I was starting to learn the rules a little bit and I could, you know, see some of the differences between fast pitch and slow pitch. And I just thought, 
I, man, I don't know if I want to coach slow pitch. I, <laughs> I don't know a lot about it, and it, the game, you know, a little bit different than what I'm used to. Um, and so that first year in 2021, when we won the first state championship, you know, I really had to lean on my two assistant coaches a lot because they knew so much more about slow pitch and had been involved with it. Um, than I had, and I'm still learning from those two, you know, three years later. But, mm-hmm. you know, some of the bis- biggest rules, you know, obviously the, the pitching mound is further back. In fast pitch, it's 43 feet. and slow pitch, it's 50. Um, the bats that you use are, are different. In fact, two years ago, they changed the rules um, where before we could use composite bats. Now we have to use all aluminum bats, which are really different difficult to find solid mm. aluminum bats yeah. that are slow pitch bats that high school girls can swing so most everybody uses a an aluminum fast pitch bat yeah. which is pretty unique um you know they can't lead off until the pitch crosses the plate you've got 10 people on the field instead of nine mm. um so you know there's there's little nuances and things that i'm still learning about the game four years later yeah that's still a pretty cool feat to not really, you know, feel like you know much about it. And then your first season coaching it and you win a state championship. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty surreal. You know, that first year we, uh, we were still all kind of learning the game and <laughs> we had, I think more girls out that first year than Mustang had had out for slow pitch since they started it three or four years before that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just had a really good group of, of seniors and we just we just seemed to get better you know as the season went along and so I think going into the state tournament that day we were we were like the fifth seed mm-hmm. um so we, you know we beat Jinx in the first round and then upset sophomore who's won a gazillion fast pitch and slow pitch state championships Mm-hmm. in the semifinals and then beat more um in the finals and shoot any day you beat sophomore and more in the same day you i mean you've accomplished something because that's two historic slow pitch programs yeah. uh, but it was just a really cool experience especially with covid and all of the rules and regulations that we had to follow yeah. that year um but yeah it was it was really cool it was really special do you think that slow pitch is going to stay around because just because of the pop the, the popularity of fast pitch i mean i've kind of heard people you know talk about moving fast pitch season to the spring when that like to correlate with the with the college game do i mean do you think slow pitch is in a good enough place to kind of be a mainstay i sure hope so i mean it, it's so much fun and i know the girls really enjoy it and i think <clears throat> a lot of their enjoyment comes from it being a different game mm-hmm. from fast pitch because you know with travel ball now these kids are playing softball all year pretty much um and so i think they enjoy the differences between slow pitch and fast pitch and i mean who doesn't love to go out there and hit home runs every yeah. day <laughs> um and that's you know obviously a big part of slow pitch but i you know i think it has staying power um, I've heard people talk about switching the seasons and I, for one, think that that, you know, might not be a bad idea because these kids are still playing travel ball 
you know, the up into your first week of the of your season and fast pitch that first week in August. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just they're so tired and oh, yeah. they've yeah. played, you know, every weekend all summer long. They've traveled the country and they get back and they immediately start going to school and, you know, playing two more months worth of games. Mm-hmm. And so I've if they wanted to, you know, switch it, I think it would be a good switch just because it would it would be a little bit different for the girls. Um, I think slow pitch is a little more laid back, and mm-hmm. I just think it would be a good, you know, kind of change of pace for them, I guess. Yeah, it really doesn't seem like kids – I've talked about this a lot too. It really doesn't seem like kids get any, get any kind of summer break at all anymore. You know? No, they, they – <clears throat> I mean, they don't. Um, which, I mean, I played a lot of softball when I was growing up in the summers. Um, you know, there was a summer, I think before my senior year, we played 115 ball games between April and August. Um, but yeah, I mean, especially in Oklahoma where, you know, you have OU with all of the things that they've accomplished and now you've got OSU that's going to the world series every year. And, you know, kids want to replicate that and they want to go to an in-state school. And, and so, you know, softball being as big as it is in Oklahoma, these kids are just eating up with it and they, you know, they do it year round. Yeah. I don't know if if fast pitch will ever overtake football as being the most popular sport in Oklahoma, (laughs) but man, it's, it's getting up there pretty close. Every time it comes like, you know, especially like college softball season, or it's college fast pitch season. It's like I'm not a real big watcher of baseball, but every time the World Series, the College World Softball World Series comes on, I'm watching it. Just it's mm-hmm. just it's just fun, you know. Yeah, I've I've heard a lot of people say that. Really, over the last you know five or six years, um, especially like I said with the in-state schools having the success that mm-hmm. that they've had, and I mean, yeah, you're right. Football, you know, is always going to be king in Oklahoma, but I think on the on the girls' side, you know, softball is probably as popular with girls as football is with boys. And, um, I mean, yeah, I hear people saying if there's a softball game on, I'll stop and watch it because, it's, you know, it's fast-paced, the games go by quickly, mm-hmm. and, watch it, you know, watching girls compete is, is fun, um, and they're, <clears throat> they're really skilled and masters at their craft. So yeah, and the energy. it is a lot of fun to watch. Uh, the energy in, at those at those games is what always kind of keeps me locked in. Mm-hmm. You know? It's just cool. Absolutely. Now let, let's transition a little bit uh, to your playing days. Okay. Now, kind of talk about how you got to OSU. Oh goodness! Um, so my freshman year at Velma, we were playing. I can't remember. If, I think it was the state tournament, um, and we made it to the state championship game, and we played Copan, who had a pitcher by the name of Tiffany Paper that was um, committed and, and signed with OSU. And so the OSU coaches were there at the game, uh, watch, you know, watching her in the state championship, and we ended up getting beat uh, in extra innings and the OSU coaches were standing next to, to someone, and they said, boy, there's you know, a, couple of, a couple of players from Belma that are 
really impressive. Um, so I think that probably just kind of got my name out there, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we played in the next two state championships as well and lost to, lost to Washington both times. But uh, once I got to be a junior, um, I joined a really competitive travel ball team out of the Norman, Oklahoma City area. Mm-hmm. And we were we were traveling all across the country um, to go to tournaments and stuff. So I think just that um, kind of recognition playing with, with that team and going to tournaments and where these, you know, division one coaches were and things really, really helped with that. And so, you know, my senior season ended, um, still wasn't really sure about where I was, where I was going to go. Um, I had an offer to go to Oklahoma city university and they had told me that I could come and start as a freshman play shortstop. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, Texas had called at one point and my dad told them <laughs> pretty much this is an OU household. <laughs> She's not going to Texas. <laughs> Don't call a kid. Um, and then I came home, I came home from basketball practice one day and I had an email from OSU, and they had been in contact with my travel ball coach and um, was looking for somebody to come in and kind of be a utility player. Yeah. And so my mom and I went up there and took an official visit, and I just, I mean, absolutely fell in love with the campus and everything about OSU, and that, I mean, that was pretty much it. Yeah. Well, how did you talk your dad into letting you go to OSU since you were an OU household? Well, <laughs> that's he, almost as bad in some people's eyes. <laughs> he uh, he just he just swore that he wouldn't ever wear anything orange. Um, oh. But at the end of the day, he knew that it was my dream to to play Division One softball. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think he kind of I think he kind of knew ahead of time that when that OSU offer came through, that that was probably where I was going to go. Yeah. Now, and I'll, I ask this of people that have played college ball you know even at a division two level or i've talked to a few people that have played at the d1 level like you have what was that transition like for you as a kid coming from small town Velma, oklahoma to playing division one softball what was that transition like for you oh it was it was a different world um you know especially me coming from such a small town in Velma and you know, my two roommates, teammates were from Edmund Memorial and Mustang. And so they were already used to, you know, schools with thousands of kids yeah. um, and graduated with, you know, 800 to 1,000 people. And here I've known all of my classmates from the time I was four and graduated <laughs> with 42 people. Um, and so I think just getting used to being around that many people, just as far as the school was concerned. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> But then the the speed of the game was just, it was so much faster in Mm -hmm. college, you know, because everybody's bigger and stronger and faster and everybody's the best player from their team. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that was a a really big, you know, eye opener for me. And then just all of the things that go into being a college athlete where, you know, pretty much every, every minute of your day is already kind of planned out 
for you. You know, you wake up at five, you have to be at weights at six, you go to class from nine to two, and then you go to practice for three hours, and then you go to study hall for two hours, and you look up, and it's nine o'clock, and it's time to go home and just, you know, do it all over the next day. Yeah. Um, definitely took some, some getting used to, but it was... It was a good experience. It was yeah. a lot of fun. Would you say that's probably harder than the actual, like the, the oh, like the the busyness of being a college athlete? Do you think that's prob that was probably more of a harder transition than the actual being around that many people? No doubt. Yeah, yeah absolutely, no doubt. Yeah, that's what I've always heard. The mental grind of being a college athlete. If you can make it through, like that first semester, you can usually, you can usually last the whole time. Yeah, that yeah, my first semester in Stillwater, it was it was tough um, for a lot of you know just for a lot of reasons. I wasn't used to being away from my parents and being that far away from home for so long, and mm -hmm. you know just kind of being responsible for my own schedule and making sure that I went to class and being on time to work out and things like that. But mm -hmm. yeah, I mean once you get the hang of it, you know you've got it. But it's getting the hang of it the tough part for sure. Yeah. Now, you were, I'm assuming that you were an all-state fast pitch player. Correct. Okay, and you were an all-state basketball player. Correct. Okay. You got any Kenny Bear stories you want to share? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Coach Bear. Yeah, so I, I mean, I first met Coach Bear, I think I was in eighth grade when he first came over to Velma from Apache. Um, and I'm pretty sure he got saddled with coaching junior high softball his first year in Velma. Yeah. So I remember we went to a tournament somewhere over Fletcher, somewhere like that. I was, I was pitching, we were playing in a tournament or something. And, um, I don't know, one of my teammates behind me made an error and, you know, I got frustrated and I think I turned around and probably yelled something and coach bear called timeout. He came out to the pitcher's mound, and he he just said, well, how about you just worry about you and let me worry about everybody else because there's plenty there for you to worry about. Yeah. And I thought, well, okay. I mean, yeah, I guess I guess you're right. Um, but Coach Bear, I mean, gosh, he's such a, such a great coach and, you know, definitely one of my favorites um, that I've, I've ever had. Uh, because he did us such a such a favor by, you know, taking over that girls' basketball job, I think, a couple days before school started. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was – that was a very interesting kind of time, you know, because you have this, this guy that's been a boys' basketball coach forever, and now he's taken over high school girls. Yeah. And so – how is how is that going to work? And we practice at the same time, mm -hmm. so how is he going to be in two places at once? But man, I mean, he, I don't know if he still has them, but back then he had his like practice schedule papers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he still does. And he <laughs> he would write down every drill and every offense you were going to work on, every defense you were going to work on and we'd always try to look at the paper to kind of see like what he had in store for us that day <laughs> yeah. and he'd never let he'd never let us see it like he would hide it and he just he would never let us see that that practice paper to know uh 
what was going on, but there's just, there's so many stories about Coach Bear. One of my favorites <laughs> probably is my junior year, we made it to the state tournament, and we're playing um, Oklahoma Christian in the first round, mm. and Coach Bear loses his voice. He just, <laughs> I mean, he can't, he can't say a word. He can't yell anything out there to us, and so his, his two assistants have this little whiteboard and he would I guess whisper to them and they would write it on the whiteboard and hold it up for us to look at oh wow on the court and so I don't I mean I've never asked him like what happened there how did you (laughs) how did you lose your voice were you nervous did you just yell at us too much in the first half that could be it because we played really bad um in, in that first half but that's a fun story um you know, I'll never forget going to our first scrimmage um, with Coach Bear my junior year. And we had a big football game uh, to go to later that night. I don't remember if it was senior night or one of our first playoff games or what. But he took us to Duncan to scrimmage. And we had all of these offenses that we were going to run and all of these plays and things. And, you know, Coach Bear's style was a lot different than than the, the previous um coach that we had and you know coach bear he just he'd always coach boys so he didn't coach us any differently than Mm -hmm. he coached the boys he wanted us to be you know up tempo and and fast paced and get out and run and be athletic and do all of these things um so we go to duncan and we get to the scrimmage and we're thinking you know okay this is this is gonna be pretty good um and then we get out there and we couldn't remember any of the plays and it it was just awful um I'm pretty sure Duncan kicked our tail and I'll never forget getting home and walking in to my parents kitchen and my mom said well how'd it go and I said mom we're terrible (laughs) I don't like I don't know I just don't know how this is gonna work um but, you know, fortunately, the boys made a, a deep run into the football playoffs, and we, we had a little more time to work on things before uh, before the season started. And, you know, it went a lot better than I thought it would after that first scrimmage, for sure. Yeah, I think probably, I mean, this is my first year here at Velma, and uh, I'm sure one thing I'm going to always never, I will never forget about Coach Bear is every time you text him, you know what you're going to get back. You're going to get a thumbs yep. up, a basketball, and a bear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I've always – I've gotten those texts before, and I've wondered, does he send that to everybody? Is yep. that just his, like, signature yeah, every, signature text? Every person I've talked to that he has texted is like – I remember when he first started sending that stuff to me, I was like, is he, like, joking, or is this something I don't know? And <laughs> I'd ask one of the assistant coaches, and they're like, no, nope, no, nope, that's just, he does that to everybody. <laughs> so, uh, but, yeah. be- before I get you out of here, what what is something that you hope, after you finish coaching, after you retire, you know, 30 years from now, what is something that you hope your players remember about you? Uh, probably just that I cared, that I, that I loved them um, as people just as much as, as players you know sometimes I think there's coaches out there that they just see their players as players and they you know only maybe appreciate them when they're inside those lines Mm -hmm. um 
But, you know, I want my players to know that, you know, I love them and care about them. Ten years, you know, after they've graduated from high school and, and college and, you know, want to be able to, to go to their weddings and their baby showers and, you know, mm-hmm. watch their kids grow up and, and compete. So, yeah, I think, you know, hopefully I get to coach for another uh, 30 years. But, yeah, I just want my players to know that, you know, I love them as people um, and and players alike and that, you know, they're like a second family um, to me and it doesn't matter if they're a starter or, you know, they don't really get any playing time at all, that we love them all the same and that, you know, they're a, a really important part of my life for sure. All right, good deal. Now, I said that was the last question, but I've got – I always end on three questions I ask. The same three questions to everybody. Okay. All right. First question. What is something people would be surprised to hear that Lacey Darity is bad at? Oh, my gosh. I feel like there's so many things I'm not good at. Um, <laughs> I'm waiting for the time I ask that to somebody, someone and they say, oh, I'm good at everything. Just next question. <laughs> No, definitely not. I mean, I definitely can't sing or dance. Uh-oh. Um, yeah, just, you know, I'd like to think that at one point in my life I was pretty athletic. Um, <laughs> and so you would think there might be a little bit of rhythm involved with that. But somehow that the two just, they don't translate at all. <laughs> and so definitely not a singer, dancer, um, which, you know, we talked about Coach Bear and he definitely doesn't have that problem with his Elvis impersonations and <laughs> yeah. all of that. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely, definitely not good at that for okay. sure. I think that's the first time I've had anyone say that one. So, yeah. <laughs> all right. Number two, if you could visit with any athlete or coach to pick their brain past or present, who would it be? Hmm. I think Pat Summit. Oh, um, that's a good one. You know, I read her book, this summer on vacation or one of her books um and she was you know she just has such an incredible story from being a a player and then immediately transitioning and becoming a really young head coach um but then you know she was anybody that's watched pat summit coach before could tell she was very demanding and and strict and definitely had a set of standards for her players but at the same time you know, she loved them away from basketball, even though she was very demanding what she wanted out of them. Um, but, you know, she was coach when she was at the gym. And then, you know, she was Pat when she was away from the gym. And um, so I think it would be really cool to sit down and, and, you know, pick her brain and be able to ask her, you know, how she kind of transitioned between coach um, that's really strict and, and demanding and, gets the most out of her players and then kind of step into this other role of, of caretaker. And yeah. so that would, that would be my person. Yeah. That's a good one. That's good. One. All right. And final question, you go to the local pizzeria. Let's say you go to the, the Nichols drive-in here in, in Velma and on the menu is the Lacey Darity pizza. What's on it? Oh, the Lacey Darty pizza would be pepperoni with black olives. Oh, that's interesting. That's that's specific. Most time, I'll ask people and they'll be like, "Oh, just throw all the meat on there. I'll oh, throw everything on there." That's pretty specific. I like that one. That's an interesting yeah. combo too. 
I mean, I like I like the all meat pizza, um, but when I'm when I moved to Mustang, there's a little pizza place here called All American, um, mm-hmm. and I just I like pepperoni and I like black olives, and so I thought, well, let's just throw them on there and see. And it's been a pretty good combination for me. So I think you know it'd be it's pretty basic, but at the same time hard to beat yeah i may i may give that place a call and see if they'll name rename that pizza after you <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah that'd be something well coach i just want to say thanks again for visiting with me and and good luck in this upcoming slow pitch season well thank you i appreciate it hopefully we can uh you know defend our title and, and go back to back and send this group of seniors out um the way they should the way they should go out because they've been a really special group for us the last four years. Thanks again to Coach Darity for being on the podcast today and thank you for listening. A new episode comes out every Sunday at 10 a.m. on your favorite podcasting site. And in just a little over a month, there will be the debut of season three of Kenny and the Coaches. So be on the lookout for that. Every Wednesday at 3.30, check out Not So Instant Replay exclusively on the Kenny and the Coaches Facebook page. And check out the Kenny and the Coaches official website in the description. And if you're on X, just search at Kenny Coaches. And don't forget that's K-E-N-N-E-Y and the Coaches. Until next time. This episode was recorded on December 13th, 2023.